Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast, this time reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from July 23rd, 1983, taped on July 20th, 1983, as well as taped at the Superdome on July 16th, 1983. I am the great Brian Last. my pleasure to be with you once again. And the man who will be on this journey with us, as he is each and every week, a man who still thinks fondly of the Superdome, Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? A little tease right there from our pre-show discussion where we were just talking about the wonderful Superdome. I am very fond of that old stadium. It is a wonderful stadium, a stadium that has stood the test of time. But for this particular episode, we're going to have some fun at that stadium, talking some wrestling from it. And a great card that was held that night in the July 16th, 1983 Superdome Extravaganza. Uh, this is a tale of two shows in many ways because of the footage we get from the Superdome. So with that said, Brian, I think we should really jump into this thing and start talking about what we have here in this week's episode. Let's jump right into it. Let's hear the show open. Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts. Television Network, once again, an hour of exciting action, interesting interviews, telling you about things that have happened in the past and look forward to in the future, and great, exciting, real live action here as we bring it to you every week. We'll see the new North American heavyweight champion, Hacksaw Butch Reed, and we'll have highlights of that great battle against the junkyard dog from the Superdome, and our guest commentator will tell you all about it, and that's Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, thank you, boy. And, of course, in the horse racing field of Kentucky Derby, it stands out. The 500 in uh, Indianapolis in car racing, the Final Four in basketball, the bowl games in college football, the World Series in baseball, and, of course, the Super Bowl in football. But I'll tell you another event that everybody the country over talks about. That's when Mid-South has a wrestling extravaganza at the Superdome. And I'd just like to give those of you that have never visited New Orleans or ever seen the Superdome a feel, a feel that'll take your breath away as you see this magnificent structure as Greg Soley did some highlights on it. New Orleans, Louisiana, one of the most exciting towns in the whole Mid-South area. There you see the Hyatt Regency Hotel. Now you see Greg Soley, the son of Gordon Soley, and Greg is an internationally known sports photographer as he takes pictures of the Superdome Saturday night, July 16th, as over 21,000 wrestling fans start making their way to the beautiful Louisiana Superdome. You know, when you're coming in on I-10 from the airport and you see the space-type-looking Superdome, it just brings a feeling of awe to you of such a fantastic, beautiful structure. And there's been a lot of controversy over the Superdome, but I, for one, think it's the most fantastic building in the United States today. And what a great building for professional wrestling. And you see the people starting to stream in for these matches. And the, I think the wrestlers themselves know the intensity, the crowd, the prestige of the Louisiana Superdome. And there has never been an event that Mid-South has had there that hasn't been a memorial event for all the fans that attended. And you can see them there in a happy, festive mood they're coming to see their favorites the superstars of mid-south wrestling the number one spectator sport in the world the hyatt management group has done a tremendous job all their personnel that we work with at the superdome are certainly courteous wonderful people and they are very very efficient and we appreciate the louisiana superdome i think it was a vision that the officials of louisiana had 
that with far-reaching effects will be looked on later in history as a tremendously important thing for the state of Louisiana because of the amount and the size of the events that it attracts to that wonderful city of New Orleans. Now with all that, we're going to take you inside about two and a half hours later by videotape replay to one of the tremendous main events that evening, Dusty Rhodes against King Kong Bundy, the edited highlights of an unusual match, a tape fist match that can be settled by knockout or by pinfall. And these two big battling, tough, rough professional wrestlers really got it on. Let's join that in progress. And we'll get to that match in a moment, Mike, but the show opens with footage shot by Greg Soley of the Superdome, and I love this footage. I love seeing all the fans in 1983 attending the Superdome, walking up, walking up that ramp, and you just see, it's like Mid-South Wrestling. Every race, every age, you see just such a variety of people, and everyone's so excited. There was one guy they showed in overalls, other people that looked like maybe they had a few bucks. It's just so interesting to see this, and energy you don't see around wrestling anymore. Nowadays, you could point out a wrestling fan from a mile away. You know what they're wearing, you know what they're talking about. You know who they are, but it just seems like the working man, the common man, everyone was excited about Mid-South Wrestling here in 1983. What are your thoughts looking back on this video, the Superdome? I mean, you made so many good points. I mean, the first one being like you look at the demographics of the folks walking up the ramps, folks walking up to the ticket windows. You know, you got kids, you know, women, men, uh, the, the level of excitement, people of all races. It's you know, this is what made Mid-South Wrestling or one of the things that made Mid-South Wrestling so good. And just, uh, you know, the Superdome, it'll always hold a special place in my heart. Obviously, I'm a Saints fan, but, you know, my mother, I probably, I've never told this story on the show. My mother, during Hurricane Katrina, was at the Superdome. Long story there. I could tell it one day if anybody's interested, just um, I may get into it. But I've got a lot of memories of the Superdome, good and bad, but it's truly remarkable when you watch the fans walking up to this old stadium that was finished construction in 1975. It's one of the oldest stadiums in the National Football League. It's still in prime condition with all the renovations they've done to it. Uh, it's just beautiful inside and out, and it's a great... The, the fact that it matter is this is a regional promotion, you know, a, a territory that runs this building, not once, but on a regular basis. And they don't have, we've talked about it, Brian, before, they don't have the draw of the WWE where we can get people from around the world into this. And no, they didn't put 60,000 and 70,000 people into the Superdome, but they put 30, you know, not, not this night, but I believe they put like 21 in there this night. But that's still saying something. 21,000 people into the Superdome for a Superdome extravaganza. It's just a special building. Great building, even as big as it is and cavernous as it can be, a great building from wrestling. And as we keep going, as we watch this footage of the folks walking up, it's just got that charm to it of territory wrestling. And what I was about to say is we watched the folks walking in. I always loved having not been able to go to the Superdome extravaganzas. I always loved when they showed the footage from the Superdome because once again, back then, you never would see this footage. There was no WWE Network. There was no Mid-South Network. There was no television station where we could watch this stuff live if you couldn't be there. So the only hope you had was that Watts would air it like he's about to do. And he's not going to air the full card, uh, but he's going to air the major moments from the card and the big moments from the card. So when we got these one-camera shots that we're about to get from the Superdome, 
we were in heaven. It was like, damn, it's as good as being there. And again, this is only six, uh, seven days later. I mean, they, this was July 16th and it's airing now on July 23rd. So lots of emotions, lots of great feelings. Uh, you know, you get warm and fuzzy inside if you, especially if you're a New Orleanian, but, but if you're a Mid-South fan, you kind of get warm and fuzzy inside when you see the Superdome and you see the folks piling in to go watch Mid-South wrestling there. Of course, Mid-South ran various buildings in New Orleans, and you had different crowds depending on the building, whether it was the Municipal Auditorium or the UNO Lakefront Arena. But it seems like both of those crowds came together at the Superdome. Uh, yeah, I think you probably had a, a better mix for the Superdome shows. I would agree with that. And the Lakefront Arena, and I think Ricardo talked about it on the 605 when he was on. It was a different vibe altogether. I mean, the, the Lakefront Arena is on UNO's campus. It's, it's not downtown. You know, the municipal auditorium obviously is, uh, I'm going to use this term, it's gritty, you know, it's old, it's, uh, you know, it's an old building, it's still standing, although not in use. Uh, hopefully they won't demolish it, but it, it was just, you know, it was easy to get to from the bus lines. Not that you couldn't get to the get to UNO from the bus line, but you'd end up taking, you, you having to get, the, depending on where you're at, a couple of transfers to get to UNO. Whereas the municipal, uh, it was a whole lot easier to get to. The Superdome was easy to get to, too, as well, to be honest with you. Um, Superdome is in a prime location if you're a tourist to New Orleans. I mean, you're not far from Bourbon. You're downtown already. It's not like these stadiums where you're on the outskirts. And I can't think of a great example as I'm saying that, but there's there's plenty. I know Jacksonville, when Jacksonville had the Super Bowl many years ago, like one of the things about Jacksonville, that stadium evidently is so far away from civilization. At least that's what I was told from a friend that was there. It's just a completely different ball game when you visit that town to go to a football game. Whereas when you're in New Orleans, if you go to a Saints game, if you go to a uh, if you went to the national championship last year with LSU and Clemson, you are right there in downtown. So, you know, if you had a hotel room in downtown, you're not far from Bourbon. I mean, you can walk to Bourbon from the Superdome. It's not, you know, two blocks away, but it's the fact of the matter is you're very close. You're close enough in walking distance. You're not going to have to get a cab unless you drink too much. So it's just prime real estate and in a great location with the downtown location. So great stadium just for everything. But uh, obviously, you know, if the walls could talk in the Superdome and tell the, to the memories of these Superdome extravaganzas, they would have a lot to say. As you alluded to earlier, these shows were mainly attended by people in New Orleans. Maybe you get some people every now and then coming from Oklahoma or coming from other towns in Louisiana. But these were local shows. These weren't shows where people flew in from around the world and around the country to attend. So it really is pretty spectacular to get 21,000 people in there for this show. Let's go to our first match. Highlights from the Superdome. In a taped fist match, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes versus King Kong Bundy with Rick Ferreira as the referee. We have a few highlights we're going to play. First, this was great detail here. Cowboy Bill Watts about tape fists. Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. One of the first superstars to ever headline the Superdome events in New Orleans, Louisiana against King Kong Bundy in a tape fist match. Now this match can be decided either by pinfall or a knockout. And of course, Dusty Rhodes, as I said, has been a superstar the world over, an international star, and has headlined many Superdomes until the Superdome almost became the junkyard dog's yard as that man has hit the heights of superstardom in the wrestling circles. And, of course, many times a match that is brought here as the promoters of Mid-South 
try to get the best events for the fans in the Superdome or matches at uh, situations that have happened other places that it can be capitalized on. And on June 24th in Houston, Texas, Dusty Rhodes was in a bull rope match, the most dangerous match that he devised against Nick Bockwinkle, the AWA champion. He won that bout against Bockwinkle with bull rope. But King Kong Bundy, who Bockwinkle had hired as an assassin-type individual, came in with a taped, his arm taped all the way to the elbow and really beat up Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes said, if that's the way you want it, that's the way you have it. Get me a match with him anywhere you can. Tape fists. And Grizzly Smith, matchmaker supreme, saw the Superdome coming up and quickly signed contracts to that effect. And King Kong Bundy, in the toughest test of his career, as he's used his 420 pounds of mass to overcome many opponents, is in a brawl here in the Louisiana Superdome in front of 21,000 fans. And Bundy belaboring Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. Dusty, 300 pounds from Austin, Texas. Former football, baseball star, West Texas State University. The son of a plumber. Man who in 1974 in Florida became known as the American dream. And his legend and his prowess has transpired and, and grown throughout the United States. A man with a lot of heart, a lot of soul. Bundy, a massive, ponderous, pummeling, an individual that just, you know, when you've got that much mass, 420 pounds, you can absorb a tremendous amount of punishment. And he's got dusty roads and a lot of pain right now, as you can see the crimson mask. Photographer Greg Soley lets us vicariously enter that ring at close-up. Again, this match can be decided by a knockout or pinfall. The Dream fighting back, pulling it up. Hitting with the elbow. Measuring Bundy. He caught Bundy up on the head with a shot. And these tape fists, the, as those of you that don't know in boxing, the reason they tape their fist under the gloves is to protect their own fist. The human can hit with his strength of his arm and body harder than the bone structure and the fists can withstand. Therefore, by being able to tape them, you can deliver a harder blow without suffering the broken hand. Otherwise, you have to use the forearm because the forearm is the only thing that can withstand the power and not break itself. So by taping their fists, this makes this match that much more of a rugged survival battle. And as you can see, both men, crimson mask at this point because the blows to the head with the fist taped naturally increase the cutting power of the fist. And the dream is doing his thing. He's walking tall, he's striding because he's got Bundy down. And Big Bundy's having to right now check into his intestinal fortitude and see if he's going to make Dream up on top. This is a no disqualification type match. And he senses the time to deliver the coup de grace to Big King Kong Bundy. Well, there you hear it. Some talk from Cowboy Bill Watts about this tape fist match. King Kong Bundy and Dusty Rhodes. Great stuff there about why a guy would want to tape his fist. Why it's so important to tape your fist and not break all the bones in your hand because your hand can't withstand the force of punching someone in the face. That's why people use their forearms. And a little bit of biographical information about Dusty Rhodes and becoming the American Dream in 1974 in Florida. What do you think of Watts here, Mike? 
I thought it was a great point as he talked about the tape fist and why the fists are taped. And, you know, it basically acts like a brace and a splint in a way in that it keeps the wrist straight from breaking and too much force then being transferred back into the fist and wrist area. So I thought his commentary was just phenomenal when he when he's talking about it. One other thing, too, you know, it doesn't come through in the commentary. So. We, we A second ago, we talked about how, you know, you can watch things live now all the time. Whenever the WWE has a special Ring of Honor, AEW, we can always see the big shows live. We, we don't have to wait at all. I mean, what I like about this, there's a certain charm to it. But, you know, watch his voice in it over from a studio or wherever he's at, if he's at his home or whatever. The thing that makes this good and so different is, um, you'll never see this again in the way it's presented. There's a grit to it. There's a dirtiness to it. There's a because you only got that one big spotlight shining down on the ring. You can't see fans for the most part. That's how dark it is in here. And it's just got that grit and just true, like dirty fight territory feel to it. And then to top it off, you got the two guys, these two big massive men with tape fists slugging away. Both of them are bloody. It's just the feel that you get when you watch footage like this is different than anything you'll ever see ever again because stuff has been so dressed up. We've talked about it. I've talked about it on my shows. You've talked about it on yours with Corny. On the 605, you've talked about it. I've talked about it on BTT where we talk about how everything's dressed up and the lights and the glitz and the glamour. Man, you ain't got none of that here. This isn't even being shot for TV at all. So there's no light. There's just one light on the ring because that's what matters. The two warriors and guys in the ring slugging it out and fighting it out. And I appreciate that as I watch, once again, single camera shot footage from the floor. So all that to be said, one camera being shot from the floor, as dark and as dirty as it looks, uh, you got two guys slugging it out to see who's the better man. It's just really good stuff as you as you watch the voiceover from Watts here. You know, I like it and I don't like it because it is so dark that you have no perspective of how big the show is. I have footage, again, shot the same way. Single camera from ringside, just an overhead spotlight, no lighting of the fans from the last stampede from Midnight Express versus Watts and Stagger Lee at the Superdome. That was one of the most successful shows in the history of Mid-South Wrestling. Second most successful Superdome show, I believe, under JYD versus Michael Hayes. You couldn't tell. You watch that footage, you don't see the fans at all. And in that respect, it misses something. So, I mean, I appreciate the grit of it, although I do wish we were able to see something that truly displayed the magnitude of these shows. Okay, you make a good point. With the the last stampede with Stagger Lee and Watts in the Midnight, you could hear, though, you could feel the crowd in that one. Am I wrong? I f- at least I felt that way on that footage. Or am I misremembering? I haven't watched it in a while. I mean, you could tell the crowd is there, but you couldn't tell the difference between 7,000 people and 28,000 people just by listening to it, I didn't think. Well, no, that's a, that's a good point, too, because, I mean, if it's so dark, you can't tell if you're... Well, I mean, I can tell because I know, but the average fan can't look and go, Oh, that's in the Superdome versus, oh, that's in the the Lakefront Arena because it's so dark. Now, you can generally tell with the darkness of the Municipal because the Municipal, even though it would be dark, you could see the, you could see the balcony and the barricade. Well, yeah, the barricade had that sign on it. 
The barricades had the sign, but this, the Superdome barricade should too. Now that I'm rewatching, I'll have to pay attention. I don't know. Maybe I'm not remembering it, but like not only the signs, but you could tell whenever they did get a shot of the actual floor because it's not concrete. But you also could see, for whatever reason, my memories of the municipal is you could see the balcony a little bit too. Like you could see the shine from it, so you could kind of tell the Superdome is so cavernous. You're right. I mean, I'm as I'm I'm looking at it as we're talking about it here. It's so cavernous that any balcony or loads level or plaza level is so far back. I mean, that's how big this damn stadium is. You'd never be able to see it. You can see the lights in the background. Those lights that you see in the background, they're 100 yards away from you. I mean, you know, or maybe not 100, 50 to 75. It's just, you know, it's it's such a big stadium. And that one little light, yeah, you're definitely not going to, you're just not going to see it. So I can appreciate what you're saying. But for me, at the same time, I also think about the time that it was shot in. You just, it just was a different time. You're not going to have, it just, this is how it was shot back then. There was no, oh, let's pan to the crowd to show you the millions of fans in attendance. And you're right, these barricades in the Superdome, I don't know why I was thinking they had the New Orleans Police Department signs on them, but I don't see that on there. So um, it's a, it's just a different time, man. You got to look at it differently. You can't compare it to anything that's done today. But you make a good point when you say you, you don't see the crowd. I mean, you, you see the front row, but that's about it. Let's go to the finish of this match. King Kong Bundy versus Dusty Rhodes. And we get a added visitor here. And triumph once again in the Louisiana Superdome, as he has done so many times in the past, as he comes off 300 pounds, hits 420 pounds, and it takes a 240-pound referee right through the ropes, just like being strained through a grater. Ted DiBiase comes in, and Ted DiBiase, as you can see, had taped up some type of foreign object and gone for it to the Dream, but the Dream intercepted it. However, Bundy has scooped it up, as we saw, and is now putting it on his fist, and the Dream not aware of it, and Bundy caught him coming in right on the jaw with that 420-pound body connected to that number eight size ham, and the Dream is down. It's no disqualification. Now the referee, Rick Farrar, delivering the count. Four. Counting either man, whichever man gets to his feet could be the winner of this bout. And the dream is really cold cock. And there we can see Dusty Rhodes, the victim of Ted DiBiase. The big cheese is coming to the aid of King Kong Bundy. And Bundy will go down in history as the winner of the tape fist bout in the Louisiana Superdome July 16th, 1983. The big King Kong Bundy was a victory in that exciting battle, and we have more of the same, and we're going to show you some more of it. We hope you'll stay with us because it's coming up right after this important message from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. You know, Mike, you keep saying how back then you didn't have the WWE Network or a Mid-South Network. Tell Boyd Pierce that. As always, we'll be right back <laughs> with more from the Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Yeah, yeah, you know, obviously he's saying that having no clue in another uh, 17 years or so we'd have a at least dial-up internet to watch things on, but little did he know, you know, in many more years, there actually would be a network. So when he say, when he say a network, he's thinking television, definitely not a streaming service of any sort, but Boyd Pierce definitely says it a lot. Hey, that was a really good finish right there. You know, you had DiBiase who comes in. Well, first off, before I get to DiBiase, I loved Watts' comment when he said, Ricky Farrar went through the ropes like a cheese grater because he really did. <laughs> yeah. Like Dusty comes off the top and hits 
Bundy. But when he hits Bundy, Bundy flies into Ricky Ferrara, and Ferrara takes a, a wicked bump into the second rope, then through the bottom. And I want to give Ferrara some more credit here. Uh, we don't talk a lot about the refs, so we talk a lot about them taking bumps because, you know, that's what they do at Mid-South. Alfred Neely is the king of bumping in big matches. But his timing was great, Ricky Ferrara being he, because Bundy comes up with the gimmick on his hand after DiBiase uh, loses it in a ring. And then Bundy hits Dusty, knocks Dusty out. And then it's like the timing's perfect because from the way the camera shot is, Ricky Ferrara is getting up into the ring just right after Bundy hit Dusty with the gimmick. And Bundy gets to his feet before the count of 10. Dusty doesn't. And Bundy wins the match. So I thought Ricky Ferrara's timing here, his bump, the cell, throwing through the ring and then crawling back into the ring, I thought was pretty much perfect. He couldn't have done it any better as Bundy gets the win. Well, coming out of that, we go back to the desk to set up the next match that we're going to watch, which is the Junkyard Dog, the North American Champion versus Hacksaw Butch Reed. And I just want to make a note here. We've seen this play out on TV over the last several weeks. But of course, the one thing we're missing specifically from New Orleans, is the local promos. So there are a lot of matches on this show, and we'll run down the card at the end of this show. There's a lot of matches that, when you hear them, you could say, oh yeah, that's been built up on TV, but we're missing the local promos, setting things up. And in this case, we know that the JYD and Hacksaw Butch Reed have a problem, but the way they're going to settle it in New Orleans is two out of three falls, a two out of three falls match. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the desk, Cowboy Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce, and then we're going to hear the opening minutes of the match. We'll have more audio after that, but it plays into something you and I have talked about a lot, Mike, the weight gain of the Junkyard Dog and the way it's being talked about on TV and how it now plays into this stipulation. Two out of three falls. You need stamina. Let's go to this audio right now. When I first won the North American title, all the title bouts were two out of three falls. However, another era has issued in and all title matches have been one fall. However, you had an upstart, Hacksaw Reed, who said the junkyard dog is finished. He's washed up, he's out of shape, he's over the hill, and I want a two out of three fall match. And that's what 21,000 people came to see at the Louisiana Superdome. Let's join this unusual, violent match in progress. This is about the fans at the Superdome were waiting for. A two out of three fall match for the North American title, champion the junkyard dog. The protege, the hungry, upcoming Hacksaw Butch Reed, who had decided to do what nobody's been able to do, to take on the legend in his own time, the junkyard dog in his own backyard, the Louisiana Superdome, for the North American title. Two out of three fall match, Alfred Neely refereeing. And the dog, a tremendous amount of a pent-up emotion coming out here as the dog is punishing, punishing, punishing Hacksaw Butch Reed, the man who has said the king is dead. He's no longer been in the gym. Too many personal appearances. Too many things for charity. He's forgotten to get in the gym and stay hungry and stay hard. And that I'm in that gym every day. Hacksaw Butch Reed, whose body certainly proves the fact that he's in that gym every day. But you look at the junkyard dog, and let me tell you, that's a powerful individual too. Two out of three fall match for the North American title. The winner definitely has to be decided. Headbutt by the JYD. JY was really keyed for this match. So the man attacking his personal lifestyle, you know, just because he's not in the gym at the same place in the same time doesn't mean he's not in the gym. This man's a powerhouse. And he seems like right here he's got Reed 
really hurting and wants to punish him. Reed maintaining that the junkyard dog has got tremendous explosive power, but no endurance any longer, that he doesn't have the conditioning to maintain the endurance. And that's why Reed had asked for a two out of three fall match instead of one fall. It's almost like Reed realized that the dog could be so explosive that he may be able to capture one fall, but Reed feels that the longer he can keep the dog in there, the time's on his side because of his endurance factor. Reed has pulled down to 242 pounds body weight. Dog is 296 pounds at this point. Reed badly lacerated as the dog is just really punishing him. Alfred Neely, a tremendously hard job at this point. The dog seems to be willing to just try to take as much toll as possible, not caring about the outcome of the first fall in order to punish Reed so greatly, figuring that the punishment could rob Reed of the tremendous endurance that he's proved to have. It's almost ghetto style right here. I think everybody in our audience understands the, the emotion right now as Dunk Guard Dog just climbs aboard and starts trying to punish. And of course, Reed is really paying the price right now. And that certainly can take a lot of endurance. Alfred Neely checking to see if Reed is, can continue. And there Reed is headbutted right out on the floor again at the Louisiana Superdome, July 16th. Now the dog going right out. Now right here is a very controversial situation where the dog intentionally goes out and just runs Hacksaw Butch Reed's head right into that steel ring post, which is made of drill collars, which is an automatic disqualification. And that was so intentional, so blatant, so vagrant, so flagrant, excuse me, that Alfred Neely had no choice but to disqualify the junkyard dog. But I think the dog, again, his strategy was he didn't care about losing that first fall intentionally to hurt Reed so bad that the next two falls would undoubtedly be his. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer came down. This, there was one minute. This is edited highlights of this bout. There was one minute between falls. They had already rung the bell, and, of course, Reed was still in kind of a semi-conscious state, had asked for time, but they, this is this, several minutes have elapsed here. Finally, Buzz Sawyer got down. As you can see, he's brought from the first aid room some bandages and has come down to bandage Hacksaw Butch Reed. He's just saying, hey, you know, the guy's got a right to, to be bandaged before he's back in there for this title match. And you can see the mad dog Buzz Sawyer from Atlanta as he bandages Butch Reed and tries to medically give him aid so that Reed can continue the bout. Reed did not ask to quit the bout. He didn't. But this was, I think, a surprise on Reed's part that the dog's strategy was so flagrant and violent and a directly against the rules and regulations that he ran his head into the steel ring post, which is by Mid-South is an automatic disqualification. Now, coming in, like I say, the bell had already rung. The bell had already rung for the second fall, and Reed's coming in, and Reed's trying to take the fight right to the dog, but the dog is trying to snuff him out as soon as he gets in. Well, let's stop it there, Mike, and we're going to have more audio of the remainder of this match in a moment. I want to talk about this match and what we're seeing, but I can't ignore the obvious. Cowboy Bill Watts is amazing here. Describing all the action, putting the foundation there for why things are happening. There are very few people in wrestling, I mean, no one does it now, who could successfully call a match as a one-person booth and explain everything. Gordon Soley was able to do it. Cowboy Bill Watts is amazing. I mean, Joey Styles and ECW had Paul Heyman in his ear telling him what to say. No one's telling Bill Watts what to say. He's the promoter. He's the booker. Or if not the booker, he's overseeing the booker. 
He knows what to say to get the end result, and he's just dynamic here. This is a great example of the best of Bill Watts on commentary. He's a great narrator and storyteller to explain every single point in his mind. He knows how to convey it to the audience so that they're getting that message and understand what's happening and why it's happening. He talked about so much stuff there. One, I mean, he's t- he's talking about, you know, it's a two out of three falls. Watts mentions that Reed claims the dog is not in shape anymore. Dog's resting on his laurels. We've talked about that a lot over the last few weeks and months. You know, Reed wanted the two out of three falls because he thought uh, there was no way JYD could win such a match because JYD wouldn't have the stamina. Now, that's Bill Watts's words claiming Butch Reed said that. And based on everything we've heard, you got to say, wow, that's some captivating audio. He just knows how to tell the story. Uh, and then going going forward, you know, he JYD ends up getting DQ'd in the first fall because he slams Reed's head into the ring post on the outside, as you heard Bill Watts describe right there. And I think Watts then goes on to explain He's like, JYD didn't care. He only wanted to damage Reed. And then we saw Buzz Sawyer come out to help bandage up Reed. It's just so much going on. One with Watts once again, pointing out the stamina issues, pointing out the weight issues with JYD to all the way to JYD basically said, I'll give you the first fall, but I'm going to do so much damage to you. You'll be able to continue, but there's no way you're going to win the last two falls. Just Really good stuff in Watts, very effective communicator, as he described it and talked about it on commentary. Tremendous, tremendous commentary work. And you make a great point. I don't know if there's anybody else who can do that as a single like Watts can right there. Like you said, Joey Styles had Heyman in his ear. Gordon Soley could actually do it. He was that good. Nobody nowadays could do it. And the thing that's missing is because of the actual storytelling that I don't know if we have as much now. Matter of fact, I know we don't have as much of it now. Uh, you just don't have that. And I mean, you, you figure the WWE commentators, they got Vince in their ears or whoever in their ears. It's just, it's just not the same, man. And Bill Watts just tremendous storytelling right there. And he's going to go, he's going to, I don't want to say get even better, but he's going to continue that in a second with the rest of the audio. And again, this plays into what I said earlier. We don't have the local promos from New Orleans. We've heard the commentary on the show, the references to JYD's weight gain, why he bulked up. But based on what Bill Watts is saying, that was played in the local promos as Butch Reed saying, JYD, you're out of shape. You don't have the stamina to go in there and wrestle me two out of three falls. So they took a real-life situation, which was unavoidable, which was everyone noticing JYD does not look like he did a year ago. And they played it into this angle or at least set up the match with it, the idea that he doesn't look like he used to. He's gained weight. Butch Reed's calling him out for being slower and out of shape. And now you have that as a added feature to the match. The other thing of note is, in real life, the JYD's gained a lot of weight and he doesn't have the stamina. How do you get a two out of three fall match out of him? And the way you, right. do, it is, the way you do it is you have two out of three falls in under 10 minutes, which is what they did here. So we've already had the first fall. JYD loses the first fall via disqualification. Let's pick up the match. We're now at the very beginning of the second fall. You see Buzz Sawyer has become a very interested spectator that could have 
and will have an effect on the match as we see it later on. The dog is really punishing Reed's injury. And that may seem that it's a little bit brutal, but I think everybody that watches boxing or watches any physical sport, when, they, when it's boxing, they, then a fighter has got a guy's eye closed, he works on that eye, trying to close it so he can gain the advantage from the blind side. There's no difference in professional football. If you've got a safety or a, or, a, or a cornerback injured or you take him out because of an injury and put a rookie in there, the immediately the other team starts exploiting that man's lack of experience or his injury. The same thing, if they know somebody's hurt, they're going to run the play at you. That's, that's just the, the way physical sports are. You're going to attack the weak spot. And these two men, like I say, this thing has just gotten out of control between them. And you see Butch Reed, he is really paying the price. Dog has ripped the bandage off, and Butch Reed is really lacerated, and the dog is just ghetto style. He's going after that whipping that Hacksaw Butch Reed said he's going to give him. But there's Buzz Sawyer, and Sawyer was hollering to try to help Butch Reed, but the dog beat him to the punch, and then he knocked Butch Reed with that tremendous form clear out of the ring. Now Sawyer's in there. Referee Alvernita calls for the disqualification, disqualifying Butch Reed for Sawyer's coming into the ring, and he gives Dog the victory. Now, that makes it a fall apiece. Dog was disqualified on the first fall, Reed on the second fall, so they're having a fall apiece. There's still a third fall to go, but Buzz Sawyer is still trying to continue the fight because he's mad. He's a, he's a tough, rugged competitor himself, and he's kind of jealous of the junkyard dog's preeminent status in wrestling. Now, Butch Reed coming in. This is all happening in the one-minute rest period between falls. I mean, the, the animosity and the intensity is just... It's just boiled over here at the Louisiana Superdome. Now here comes Big Bundy with that hand still taped and those knucks or that foreign object that he had taken from Ted DiBiase. And you can see he flat waylaid JYD and got out of there. And this is the very controversial situation. Now, now they've done their damage. They're turning tail and running. And the dog is like the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, the junkyard dog, everybody's dream is laying there face down and unconscious. And, of course, Alfred Neely knocked out of the ring. Hacksaw Butch Reed sees his opportunity, turns him over with a half Nelson. And you see Alfred Neely coming back in. Dog unconscious. The bell had already rung to start the third fall, and Alfred Neely comes back in and counts the fall as he is required to do. The new champion, the North American champion, the controversial North American champion, Butch Reed. This match, like I say, tremendous emotion. The tactical game plan or whatever, the, the physical strength of these two men. You have a new North American champion. The dog has been beaten in his own yard, the Louisiana Superdome. I don't think anyone in the Superdome or sitting here at home or at, here at the television studio thinks the junkyard dog is washed up. However, I think in the emotion of the situation, and you got to remember, all sports are emotional, especially professional wrestling. The junkyard dog wasted one fall by letting his emotion run rampant as he beat on Hacksaw Butch Reed. And that could have been the difference because Reed certainly has the title now, even though it's a tainted victory. And I know Grizzly Smith will be trying to settle that issue as he works to get a rematch. But Reed is not quick to give the junkyard dog a rematch. And Hacksaw Butch Reed is here, and we'll see him in action when we return after this message from Mid-South. Well, there it is, Mike, a new North American champion, Hacksaw Butch Reed. 
I want you to talk about your thoughts on this match and about the commentary, but one note, you know, we've talked about the JYD's timber falls in the past. This was another one that it didn't look good. He's on his knees when Bundy hits him with the tape fist. They've established earlier in the show the tape fist and the Dusty Rhodes match. He hits JYD, JYD on his knees just freezes and then eventually falls over. See, there has to be a better way to do that. And again, we've seen the JYD, whenever he's hit with anything bad, he freezes up and then timber falls. We would see this again in 1984 when he loses the North American title to Mr. Wrestling 2 and he gets the knee lift and a lot of talk has been made about how bad the knee lift looked. And a lot of it was how bad JYD sold it. But what are your thoughts on all of this here? Well, he's so he's on his. It's 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 hard to take a bump from that angle uh, or that position. Say angle. Bundy rolls in through the ropes and punches Dog, who's on his knees over Reed. And I thought, I thought he actually tried to sell it as best he could because from that angle he can't take a bump back. And then Bundy hit him a second time. I thought maybe he should have just hit him once because it's it's a brass knuck or whatever he's got on his fist. And then from there, Dog has room to just fall forward after one punch. But Bundy goes in to hit him again when Dog doesn't fall forward the first time. So then Dog kind of slowly rolls backwards. I don't know if rolls the right word, but he kind of leans backwards again. He's on his knees. And then after the second punch is when he leans back some more, and then he finally falls forward. It doesn't look great, but I'm not gonna say it wasn't it wasn't effective. It was a it was effective. I just wish that after the first one, he just would have just like oh fell forward, like just face bump from his knees. That's not what happened though. So, uh, I mean, there's there's we've seen worse. There there's been some others that aren't as good. I, I didn't I didn't have too much of a problem with with that. One thing I did want to say to address something you said a second ago, they worked this match in under 10 minutes. It was not even nine minutes, I believe. I think they went like 840 if I timed it correctly. And that's with the one minute intermissions. <laughs> Three falls in 840. This definitely wasn't Steamboat Flare from 1989 at the same building. <laughs> um, not that it should have been. I mean, it was a brawl. It was an old school brawl. It was two heavy hitters. But I just thought, I was like, I just realized, I was like, man, that actually was a short match, not a more that I think about it. And, and I don't know if I really thought about it as much as as much as I did until you said it, because I was so wrapped up into the match and nobody cared that it went eight minutes. Butch Reed ends up winning, though, and you heard Watts say there's controversy there. You know, Alfred Neely was bumped when he came in. He never saw what Bundy did. But in the end, you know, there's there's no instant replay in wrestling. Butch Reed pins JYD, one, two, three. Reed wins two out of three falls. And did Watts say something there? I'm, I'm thinking about something else. Did Watts say something there also about, see, that's why you can't just give up a fall when JYD took the chance and got himself DQ'd in the, in the first fall. Did he mention that? He did mention that. And again, Bill Watts did a great job of explaining the ins and outs of why this two out of three falls match happened, why it was brief why the JYD sacrificed that first fall because he just had to get his hands on Butch Reed. However, in the long run, that cost him. Yeah. Overall, though, Brian, given what we know now about JYD's problems, what did you think about this? I, I, I've been wanting to ask you this ever since I rewatched it. What did you think overall 
about the match and commentary, if you would just say, hey, in a nutshell, I know it was eight minutes long. What did you think, though, overall about how this was presented and done and with Reed winning the title? See, I liked it because it was kind of action-packed. It was nonstop. It wasn't any, there wasn't any stalling. A lot happened very quickly. It's interesting getting Buzz Sawyer involved. Buzz Sawyer is a regular in Georgia Championship Wrestling, not a regular in Mid-South, although he's been there before. You know, this Superdome show, and we'll talk about it later, and we've talked about the TV lately, has some Georgia guys, because, again, the Watts-Ole Anderson connection is pretty strong here. But then you get Bundy involved, thinking, okay, now Bundy is going to be someone that JYD has a problem with. A lot happened. A lot happened quickly. We had the benefit of Bill Watts explaining everything, so it really flew by quick. But, I mean, you didn't hear anyone booing. Well, they shouldn't say that. I mean, the bad guy won. Boy, a lot of bad guys won on this show, I gotta say. (laughs) But uh, I thought it was really good. I I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot of bad guys did win. Well, when you think about bad guys winning, the big matches, the bad guys won. You know, when you think about Reed winning, Bundy winning. There's baby faces that won on the card, but you're definitely right when you think about who actually won and who didn't. So I thought, though, you know, it's amazing when you think about it. They did two out of three falls in, inside of eight minutes. And But, I mean, in real life, fights don't last forever. So I guess there is something to that, you know. And, and they watch. You, you Ghetto it, style. Watch, of course. Yeah, that, that was always the that was always the thing. Like I used to. I can remember one time Watts saying that, and I think my mom was like walking through the the room, and she's like, "What the hell is this?" You know, because <laughs> because I think I think it was um I think it was a local promo, and Dog was like, "We gonna do it down in New Orleans, and we gonna do it ghetto street style." And then Reed's out there later on. He's like, "I got my soup bones," you know, because Reed hasn't been we haven't been getting a local promo, so we haven't really heard Reed talk about his soup bones, but. That was his thing. Like, he would always talk about his soup bones, meaning his fist. So um, it was good stuff, though, man. You know, Watts made up for, I didn't say he made up, but we didn't get the the local promos leading up to this, but Watts told a good story. And knowing that, you know, not knowing that we were going to miss it all these years later, but us knowing now that, hey, we didn't have those, Watts did a good job of telling the stories that were told on those locals. At this point in the show, Bill Watts steps away from the desk, and we get the return of Buddy Nichols on commentary with Boyd Pierce. We go to our first match from the Irish McNeil Boys Club. The new North American champion, Hacksaw Butch Reed versus Art Cruz. Alfred Neely as the referee. The new champion wins with a shoulder block. A fairly competitive match, though. What did you think, Mike? I thought it was competitive, but I also thought Reed showed off his power, you know, with his press slams that he hit Cruz with and then the shoulder tackle with Reed winning by pinfall. I mean, look, they didn't they didn't go... 10 minutes or or nothing like that but um you know there's he he showed his power and that was my the point i want to make you know reed showed his power with the haymakers that he was throwing and cruz took some nice bumps from those things so i thought it was good even though it 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 wasn't you know it wasn't too quick wasn't too long either though so uh butch reed looked good though in his first defense on television the next match we get a big return dr death steve williams versus boris zirkoff Joel Armstrong, the referee. Let's hear a few moments of Boyd Pierce and Buddy Nichols discussing Dr. Death. Williams is back. Now, Buddy Nichols, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, as you know, if you've been watching and following closely, 
He's really come along using that Oklahoma Stampeder. Now, King Kong Bundy came upon the scene using something almost like he said he invented that hole. That was a brand new one, that it was the avalanche. But my sidekick on week after week, Cowboy Bill Watts, let me tell you something, wrestling fans, and you already know it, and King Kong Bundy might as well admit it. Cowboy Bill Watts was the inventor and the master of the Oklahoma Stampede, and Steve Dr. Death Williams is coming right along and using the same thing, so don't fool yourself or anybody else, King Kong Bundy. This man has got it. Another thing, too, Boyd, we might ought to point out, you mentioned pro football. Dr. Death Steve Williams uh, just completed his first year with the New Jersey Generals, and, of course, Atlantic City, New Jersey, the home of uh, King Kong Bundy. They, he may uh, be fighting a little territorial rights there, but uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, uh, one of the fine and upcoming young wrestlers uh, across the nation. And right now he has a tough assignment in Boris Zirkov. We have pointed out many times uh, in the past when we have talked about uh, Steve Williams, the fine athlete out of the University of Oklahoma, starting guard for the Sooners for many years. Also, Boyd, uh, an All-American wrestler for about four years out of the University exactly. of Oklahoma. So he has a good, good uh, amateur background. And uh, everybody knows when you get uh, an American and a Russian together <laughs> anywhere, it's going to be trouble. And right now, this is going to be a good match. It's already started out to be a good one. Well, there we hear it. Some words about Dr. Death Steve Williams. Also, Boyd Pierce referring to Cowboy Bill Watts as his sidekick. That may be news to the Cowboy. Yeah, I'm your sidekick. I thought it was the other way around, Boyd. <laughs> but some good stuff. And this kind of highlights the best of Buddy Nichols, being able to talk as a sports broadcaster in a legitimate way about the accolades and the abilities of Dr. Death Steve Williams. Yeah, that's his strength because he is a sports broadcaster. So, And he didn't say anything we haven't already heard. But to the point you're making, as a broadcaster, as a sports broadcaster, he's, you know, he's... He's doing what he does best there, and that's giving the background on Dr. Death. And I'm sure that was the guidance he got from Watts before he went out there. Hey, talk about Dr. Death. Put him over like this again. Mention it again. And again, in a day and age when there's no DVRs and not everybody's got a VCR, and some people may have missed a few shows here and there, we're hearing that for the first time. So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I thought Buddy Nichols did well there. Uh, outside of that, you're not really going to get much more from Nichols on commentary like you will from Bill Watts. And I guess we already know that, though. Dr. Death wins with the Oklahoma Stampede. Then we get our next match, the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Ted DiBiase and Mr. Olympia, versus Tim Horner and Johnny Rich. Once again, Joel Armstrong as the referee. My two notes here were, Tim Horner is growing his mustache again. I don't think Tim Horner should have a mustache. And secondly, and this is pretty big, or at least significant, I should say, no Skandar Akbar. Akbar is not here, and he's been with DiBiase for a long time now. No Skandar Akbar on this episode. Mike, what are your thoughts on this match or anything else? Uh, are you saying Tim Horner's got like a porn mustache going, or uh, what, what are we going for here when you, when you talk about the mustache? I'm just curious. Not everyone can pull off a mustache. Magnum TA, he looks right with a mustache. <laughs> Tim Horner looks like a dweeb. Okay, I was just making sure we weren't on one of those, you know, pizza toppings uh discussions again <laughs> are you saying you want to defend tim horner's mustache or i don't know what you're saying you want to defend the idea of a porn stash what what is your argument here mike i think i think it would work if he was a heel to be honest because he would look that the mustache he has he looks like he it, it looks kind of sleazy it looks kind of dirty so 
I would say go with that. You're right, though. Not everybody could pull off the Magnum TA Tom Selleck type mustache. That that if you could pull that look off, I mean, you were turning the ladies on back then because that was like the thing at this time period. But not everybody can do that, and Tim Horner certainly doesn't have the the, the Magnum uh, <laughs> Magnum Tom Selleck mustache. He certainly yeah. can't get that going. Uh, I do agree there. I will say this. We, I say it often. We give Tim a hard time oftentimes on this show and other shows I do. Tim looks good in this match. He really does. I mean, especially early where he's delivering a series of offensive maneuvers to DiBiase and Olympia that caused Olympia and DiBiase to powder out of the ring. I thought Tim looked really good. And, you know, we've seen him get some victories. And here again, we see him firing up and looking good as a wrestler. And, you know, Rich and Horner, to me, at least as I watched it, the crowd was really into it. They were they were clapping. They were enjoying it. Rich and Horner, they got most of the offense if you really timed it out during this match. It wasn't until Olympia ended up loading the boot and hit Horner in the back with the ref not seeing it that really turned things around. And then DiBiase hits uh, Horner with the power slam for the win. Um, a staggering Tim Horner that is. But the baby faces they really got the best to be honest of Olympia and DiBiase through much of the match. Yeah, no one could doubt Tim Horner's work in the ring. It's his work on the mic that everyone agrees is atrocious. And of course, with his mustache here, he looks like the type of shifty guy that would steal a fax machine or something. It's nice. <laughs> but he's good in the ring. He's really good in the ring. Exception. And it's, like not, it's not even one of those cases where you like, oh, you just put a mask on him and it would have changed things because he still couldn't do a promo. You know, like that was one of the big things that held Tim Horner back. He just couldn't do an effective interview to make people really invest in him. But if you judged him based just on his ring work, he's good. And you could probably say that one of the reasons he is so good is the fans get into him so much watching him wrestle. He, Brian, he could do an effective promo. It just was effective for the wrong reasons. <laughs> he would, he it's a, would it's a defective promo. Uh, I was talking to Dutch Mantel recently. Dutch was on my show. And Dutch, we were talking about a promo that Tim Horner cut where he could not say Mr. Wonderful or Paul Orndorff. He he kept calling him uh, War, Mr. Warndorf. Uh, he could not he could not say Paul Orndorff's name. And at one point, Tim is like, "Jump on me, slap me, get me in the mood if you know what I mean." And at the end of the promo, what Dutch is, is like, "Oh, go ahead." What I was gonna say? What does he mean? Dutch was like, and I think Tim Horner at the end's like, you know what I mean, Dutch? And he's like, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, as long as you don't get me. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked Dutch about the promo. I said, Dutch, what did you think? He's like, oh, my God, I felt so bad for Tim, and Tim was lost. And Dutch said, you know, I got to be honest, the fans at the end, they pop more on what I said than what he was saying as he's trying to talk about this feud he's having with Mr. Warndorf, Mr. Wonderful. He could not get out the word Orndorf. He said Warndorf like three or four times. It was tremendous. Like I said, effective for all the wrong reasons. Effective in that we could not stop laughing as we reviewed it many years ago on the Smoky Mountain show. Uh, but Tim, I, honestly, Tim, and, going back to this match, Tim and Johnny Rich looked really, really good here. They truly dominated the match offensively, but they end up losing because, you know, the heels uh, one-upped them. Yeah, and Johnny Rich has looked pretty good in Mid-South Wrestling since he's been there, but like you said, DiBiase and Olympia win. It's a DiBiase power slam on Horner after Tim takes a loaded drop kick to the back, 
shooting him into the power slam from Mr. Olympia. We then get footage from Houston, Texas, June 3rd, 1983. Jerry Usher, the referee, Bill Watts on commentary, Hacksaw Duggan versus Kamala. It turns into a no contest. What did you think of this airing on TV? Kamala hasn't been here in a long time. This was the only time Akbar was on this episode. Was it just to get a Jim Duggan victory on the show? I mean, again, this is from June 3rd, so it's almost two months old. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, one, one. I think uh, Watts was trying to just fill up some time, and two, isn't Kamala coming back, though? So I'm wondering if that's part of it as well, like he's he'll be back in a few months. I'm trying to remember. I, I always get my timelines messed up with this stuff, Ryan. I'm not. I am not the savant and I am not good with the timelines at all. Like you are, you remember these things. You remember months and dates. Like you're like, Oh, he'll be back in, you know, December of 83, December 16th episode. I mean, you're, you're just really good with that stuff. And I'm not. So I was wondering if that's it. So two things, one, I think Watts kind of needed some time to fill up because, you know, he put this on with these two from Houston and then we're going to get Rip Rogers in wrestling too, in a very quick, less than three minute match right after it. So I'm wondering if he kind of just wanted to fill up some time here. Uh, as he showed these two brawling. And then, like I said, I, I think Kamala's coming back uh, shortly, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. So there you go. I thought that was kind of what it was. Other than that, it's a brawl. I mean, I don't know what you can really say. These two are just brawling with each other in the ring in Houston. I know Kamala returns in 85. I don't remember if he returns in the next several weeks. Obviously, time will tell as we review these episodes. But once again, a no contest. Kamala and Hacksaw Duggan. And then we get our final match on this episode, Mr. Wrestling 2, apparently the national champion, versus Rip Rogers, Johnny Martinez, the referee. Let's go to the audio of the opening of the match, the introduction, as well as some commentary. A few weeks back, Mr. Wrestling 2 was introduced as the national champion, and then he came out without the belt, and they said he lost to Larry Zabisco. Now he's wearing the belt in the ring. Let's hear what's going on. Tennis for one fall or remaining television time in the red corner at 227 pounds from Los Angeles, California, Rip Rogers. And although there is some controversy about the national heavyweight championship, we have in the blue corner at 236 pounds from Atlanta, Georgia, the man who does possess that belt, Mr. Wrestling 2. Now you have the introduction and listen to the fan dollar. The controversy, there, Rip Rogers attacked wrestling number two as Johnny Martinez called for the bell. And buddy, controversy is swirling. The national championship, the title holder, Larry Zabisco, but... Mr. Rising 2 possessed the belt, and that's nine-tenths of the law, and he's really making Rip Rogers wish that he had waited. Well, I want to tell you one thing, Boyd. As you know well know, it's going to be an all-day job trying to take that belt away from Mr. Wrestling number 2, as now he finally gets a chance to get rid of his uh, robe, and Rip Rogers walks right into an arm drag and takedown, down, and Mr. Wrestling 2 has his dander up. Well, there we hear at the opening minute of a very short match between Wrestling 2 and Rip Rogers. No one's really explaining what's going on with this national championship. Even Reeser Bowden doesn't really seem to know what to say. Although there's some controversy, here's the national heavyweight champion. What is the controversy? It's never said. I guess they're assuming a lot of people were watching Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS. But what, what did you think of all this? 
Yeah, the research's not being clear here at all. Nobody's being clear here. It's 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 very <laughs> controversial, I guess, and that's why I use that word. I do know from that Superdome show, I was looking at the results. Two did pin Zabisco at the Superdome on the 16th, but you would think maybe they could mention something. I, I don't. I, I'm really at a loss for words as to as to what this what is going on here and why it's being not talked about with any clarity, I guess is the words I'm looking for. And, you know, you and I are both also confused. So I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. You know, maybe this is one of these things that uh, you, we can put Al Getz on because he's doing all the research on it. And I'm like, Hey, what can you find out from this? I don't, I don't know. This is, this is, this is a strange thing, but I will tell you what's not strange is everybody is confused. Everybody's confused. Boyd, Reeser, us. It's 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 a conundrum, Brian. It's a conundrum. I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do. We're gonna we gotta get to the bottom of this. Well, Mr. Wrestling 2 wins with the knee lift. And with that, we wrap up another episode of Mid-South Wrestling. But before we close out this podcast, here are the results. July 16th, 1983, New Orleans, Louisiana at the Superdome. Johnny Rich defeated Rip Rogers. George Weingroff defeated Art Cruz. Two baby faces there. Mil Moscaris and Tim Horner defeated Mr. Olympia and Boris Zerkoff. Magnum TA defeated Buzz Sawyer via disqualification. Tommy Rich beat Kamala. Mr. Wrestling 2 defeated Larry Zabisco. The Iceman, King Parsons, defeated Buddy Roberts. So obviously a match from Dallas there. In a lights-out match, Hacksaw Duggan defeated Ted DiBiase. King Kong Bundy beat Dusty Rhodes in a tape fist match. And the main event for the Mid-South North American Championship, Butch Reed defeated Junkyard Dog two out of three falls. So an interesting card there. A lot of Georgia talent. Mil Moscaris from Houston. And a North American title change. World-class talent, too. I mean, we got, yeah, we got a couple of different things here. Hey, you know, Brian, we didn't talk about it when, when Bundy uh, lost or b- defeated Dusty. Dusty came off the top rope, but I didn't hear Bill Watts say, oh, he leaped from the top. He didn't jump from the top. When, <laughs> when, when Ricky Ferrar took the bump when Bundy flew into him, you know, I just wanted to point that out. Dusty Rhodes did come off the top. Now, maybe because it was a tape fist match, it wasn't considered DQ. There was no DQ. I don't know. Watts didn't really say. But anyway, just wanted to point that out. But yes, there's a lot of talent on this card. Like you said, they got Mil Mascaris there, Wrestling 2 and Zabisco, Kamala's in, Tommy Rich is in, uh, Buzz Sawyer. So. Yeah, we, we got um we got a good mix of guys here from different territories. Big show, too. Ten matches. Well, with that, we wrap up another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast. 605pod.com are available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory? Come listen to Booking the Territory at tinyurl.com slash bttpod. If you go there, you can actually also get all of our Smoky Mountain Wrestling recaps, which we are done now. We've covered all 200 episodes of Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling in the same manner that Brian and I cover Mid-South, where it's week to week. And we had a lot of fun, I mean, from start to finish. Great, great promotion. 
the ending was terrible, I, I have to admit. And I think even Corny has said that to me. He's like, oh, yeah, we got to the end. And it was like, uh, but the ending was bad. But, man, what a promotion. The first 190 episodes were just on fire. I mean, there's so much great stuff in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So come listen to it. Tinyurl.com slash Pod. Also, we do uh, one other show a week, the our NWA Saturday night on TBS recaps. Those shows currently drop on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. We are up to uh, March of 1989 and going into April of 1989 at this stage. So it's a fun time. We're in the middle of the Flair and Ricky Steamboat feud. What a great feud from 1989. So come check us out. Uh, myself, Hardbody Hopper, Doc Turner, we are the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast for a reason. The jokes are terrible. It's not always politically correct, but we still have fun nonetheless as we talk classic Southern wrestling. It's a great time. So come check us out. Uh, we appreciate it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I try to post clips of the shows that Brian and I discuss here talking Mid-South Wrestling. Brian, another fun show. And uh, we got another one coming up next week. Until then... The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Mm-hmm.